0: Hi, this is Colette Picot. I'm a former hoop de doo performer and stuntwoman, and I'm now a show writer for SeaWorld, Universal, Disney, and lots of other creative clients. And you're listening to Stories of the Magic.
1: Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more, right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to Episode
2: 64 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. In this episode, we conclude my interview with former Hoopty-Doo review and Indiana Jones epic stunt spectacular performer and current attractions show writer for many of the major themed entertainment companies, Colette Picot. Last time, Colette talked about her time with Hoopty-Doo, the Indiana Jones stunt show, the Adventurers Club, and some of her experiences as a show writer, including her very first show writing job. In this episode, Colette talks about... Whether she'd ever anticipated being able to use all the experiences she'd gained the way she is now. Behind the scenes on developing SeaWorld's Blue Horizon show. Whether she ever got any formal training in showwriting. How some of her interests and activities prepared her for being a showwriter. Her favorite sci-fi or fantasy series of books. Her favorite role in all that she does in her company, It Ain't Shakespeare, and some of her favorite projects doing it. Other projects she's worked on for the themed entertainment industry, including a couple she worked on with Adam Berger. More details about what a show information guide is and how it's created. The attractions she's worked on that have won Thea Awards, that's the Themed Entertainment Association Awards. Working on some overseas parks and attractions. Writing for Jack Hanna's Animal Adventures, Shamu TV, and more TV shows. The huge challenge of writing for Jack Hanna's Animal Adventures, especially because this was pre-digital. Her major involvement in the Antarctica Empire of the Penguins attraction at SeaWorld Orlando. Advice for what you should study or know to be a theme park writer. Some of this may surprise you. What inspires her? Her advice to you for following your own dream. And of course, shameless plug time. Now, as I did last time, I feel that I need to preface the interview itself by letting you know that due to technical issues on my end, we ended up having to do the interview via cell phone, so the audio quality is less than I'd like it to be, and if you heard part one, then you're probably aware of that already, but in case you missed it, I wanted you to know now. I've done as much as I can with it, and I hope it doesn't detract from your enjoyment of this fascinating conversation. Now, a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend. And then it's time to turn the page and continue this story.
3: Have you ever experienced uncontrollable bouts of geekdom? If so, the Anomaly podcast may be right for you. In clinical studies, anomalies, interviews, convention reports... Commentary on geek culture, games, sci-fi and fantasy television, literature, and film provided a feeling of fullness while promoting health for optimal geekiness. The Anomaly podcast is not suitable for all people. Only geekily active cool chicks with a healthy sense of humor should listen. Geekily active cool guys should listen too. Anomaly has resulted in sudden fits of squee, Broad smiles may appear without warning and could become permanent. The most common side effects of Anomaly are unconsciously joining in the Gamma Quadrant golf clap, out loud, at work, to the amusement of co-workers, and attempting to interject opinions aloud to hosts who can't hear the listener. But in all cases, the benefits outweigh the risks. Ask your Anomaly if you're healthy enough for entertainment of this caliber. You don't need a doctor's messy handwriting to obtain a free subscription. Anomaly is available over the counter at Stitcher Radio and in the iTunes, Zune, and BlackBerry stores. You can also stream episodes of Anomaly and Anomaly Supplemental at anomalypodcast.com. That's A N O M A L Y podcast.com. Just one 1-hour episode provides 24 hours of relief. And never leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Music by Jewelbeat.com And now, this week's interview
1: on Stories of the Magic. Back when you were
2: in your acting music days, before you even started in Hoop-Dee-Doo, did you have any idea that you would like to parlay those skills into something else or something bigger like ended up happening is you went into show writing and you're using all of that stuff?
0: No. And in fact, if you went back to the old me and told her that she'd be doing what I'm doing right now, she would have said, you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's, not, it's not something I ever even thought about. I didn't study writing. I, know I had no aspirations as far as that was concerned, ever. It just happened.
2: Huh. I have a question about the Blue Horizon show, and then I want to come back to more about show writing. But okay. I've been to uh, SeaWorld Orlando once, but I can't count the number of times I've been to SeaWorld San Diego. And, of course, both parks have the Blue Horizon show now. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's not so much a dolphin show now as a show that dolphins are in. Yes. Yeah. Uh, as unlike, you know, the Shamu show is the whales and the sea lion and otter show is the sea lions and Opie. Uh, and you know, this is more of a like a production that dolphins have one of the roles in. What was the process like, or the, the thought process in developing that show? Like what were you asked to do and how did it end up in the direction where it is?
0: Well, it was a really wonderful team led by Scott Helmsfetter and Elizabeth Hansen. Scott Helmsfetter is now the creative, uh, creative operating, uh, what do called, COO, creative, uh, um, he's a big mucky muck, he's in charge of all creatives at SeaWorld English Garden. I forget what oh, his wow. title is. But at the time, it was a company called In Motion Entertainment. And he and the hired me to be the show writer. And there was a whole team of people. There was a wonderful set designer from New York and another choreographer, director from New York. It was really a wonderful team of people, brilliant, brilliant, talented people. We got together, and the idea was to create a dolphin show that was unlike any other in the world that had a really high level of entertainment as opposed to education. And we sat in uh, a room for days, coming up with all kinds of different ideas. And when we finally arrived on this one, we knew that we had it. We were all so excited about this idea of creating a new form of entertainment with dolphins and other animals, to just transcended what had been done before.
2: It's definitely a fun and high-energy show, uh, that's for sure. Uh, did you ever get any pushback, maybe through the development process, that the dolphins didn't have more of a role in it or was the intent even from the beginning to, to have it, it more of a broad based show?
0: I think it was always the intent from the very beginning to have a more broad based show and a, and a show that made it seem as if the dolphins weren't being led as much, you know, that they were choosing more to do these things, which, you know, to some extent they do. They love to leap. they love to them, that's the play, you know, so mm-hmm. we wanted to do a show where they were directed
2: sort of behind the scenes. Okay, that makes sense, yeah. So it felt a little
0: bit more organic, and there was a little bit of a story. The main idea was to create a dolphin
2: show that had a story. which is what we did. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. It's nice to be able to have some of the questions that I had when I've seen this show to be answered by somebody who worked on it. That, yeah. That's very nice. So stepping back then to kind of show writing in general – I know you said that you didn't really have any training before you developed this thing for the pre-show for Indiana Jones. Did you go on to get any training, or did you just have kind of a natural penchant for writing the kinds of things that would go in theme parks and just kind of developed it with practice?
0: Yeah, I never had any training at all. Uh, When I first met Adam, actually, I looked to him as a mentor because he had been doing it for a number of years prior to meeting him. And we had a lot more experience than I did. But I, I was fortunate enough to work with people like Jason Sorrell and other people, excuse me, like Mark Rose, who, when I didn't quite get it, they would the time to show me how I could create something that was a little bit better. Um, but I think that I not, I, I hope I don't sound too egotistical, but I think it just ha- naturally had this ability, this hidden ability, and it, it came out through this process.
2: Sure. Yeah, and that doesn't sound egotistical at all. It's simply a statement of fact. Yeah. You know, this is who I am, and I'm using it. Yeah, that's not egotistical at all. It's just reality.
0: One thing I do have to say, though, is that when I was a child, I read voraciously, and I read a lot of fantasy and science fiction, and I used my imagination a lot when I played because I had older brothers. I was, it was kind of like being raised like an only child. My father was in the service, so I was alone a lot. And I think that helped a lot. The fact that I just read so much and I used my imagination so much, it was just sort of a natural extension of that imagination that I was able to do this. And also with theater, at least for me as an actress, part of the process of creating characters, developing characters who have a, an actual life and layers and there's and so much more to them than what's on the surface. There's all of, these, all of this other really wonderful stuff that makes up a human being. So, For me as an actress, I was used to creating stories about the characters that I played. So it was was actually a pretty easy transition for me.
2: Okay. Favorite sci fi or fantasy series or author?
0: Lord of the Rings.
2: (laughs) Good choice.
0: That's my number one. And I don't know, I I, I read all Sprinkle and Time. And my brother loves science fiction, so I would read all the books that he was done with, too. So I, I read all the classics. And I don't know, I mean, just you name it, pretty much I read it.
2: Okay. Did you ever read David Eddings, by any chance, fantasy author?
0: Yes, I did.
2: He's my favorite. Yeah,
0: he was really good. I think they had different colors. Each book had a different color. I remember that. Yep. Yes.
2: Good. Very cool. Yeah, I had particularly wondered about the possible training or anything, being a show writer. It seems like a lot of fun, really challenging, which is part of what makes it a lot of fun. And I was just like, I would personally have no idea where to start with something like that.
0: It is a lot of fun. For me, the way I started is I do a lot of research. That's where I always go first. So often we're asked to do things that have to do with historical characters or the culture. So um, that's where I go. I do tons of research. One of my mentors, Jason Terrell, said you have to fill the instrument. You fill yourself up with all of this knowledge and information, and then it's a lot easier to come up with a great story.
2: The more you know, the broader your interest base, the mm-hmm. more places you have to pull from. Yeah. to do what you need to do.
0: Yeah, and I'm a very visual creator, so I actually visualize and kind of see in my mind's eye the characters and the places.
2: Mm-hmm. So of all the things that you do as owner and everything, if it ain't Shakespeare, of all the roles that you play, so to speak, is show writer your favorite one, the one where you're kind of most excited to spend your time?
0: To be honest with you, lyrics is my favorite. I don't get to do it very often, but I love writing song lyrics. My favorite is developing characters. Quite often I'm asked to come up with the, the people and the lives of the people who live in these structures, these buildings that we create. If there's a retail space or there's a restaurant, especially with Walt Disney world, but other parks do this as well, there's an actual backstory for the character who resides in that place or builds that place or runs that business. And it's very in-depth, and it's really exciting to develop that whole story and the whole reality for me. Uh,
2: Have you had any of those that you've gotten to do that you've just been particularly proud of or really enjoyed developing that character or that place?
0: Well, um, Pantopia just opened at Bush Gardens in Tampa, and every single one of those buildings has a story and has characters connected to it. I absolutely loved working on that project. We had free reign to do anything we wanted to with it, within the region, of course. And I came up with this, this wonderful, quirky, eccentric people who lived in this place, and it was, it was so much fun.
2: I've heard really good things about Pantopia and the theme, among other things, that people really enjoy about it. And that story development is so much a part of creating the feeling of that place. hmm even though I haven't been there, I know that your work is well appreciated by guests.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. You know, um, the, the cool thing about this that is the guests don't know those stories, but they sense it. I really do believe that they intrinsically sense that there's a history, there's a legacy there, and it just feels right, you know, because it feels like it's authentic.
2: Yeah, you can tell when a place is meant to be artificial or the people who made it didn't care enough to make it not feel artificial Mm -hmm. and when it has a history and kind of a gravitas to it because all of that history and story was built into it and it feels real and it feels permanent and it feels like it's been there forever even if it was just built a month ago yeah
0: that's, that's something a lot of people don't understand how important that story is and how important it is to create that backstory.
2: Mm-hmm. How about some other projects that you've worked on for the themed entertainment industry that you can talk about? I know that there are some where I'm sure there's non-disclosure <laughs> and There are some that didn't go anywhere, but 10 years from now they might. So you're still not allowed to talk about it, but hopefully there's some that you can talk about. I know you mentioned Antarctica and Turtle Trek and of course just Pantopia uh, just now and Blue Horizons. but uh, any others that you want to mention?
0: Well, yeah. Adam was the main showwriter on a Tough Track, but I also did some work on that project at, at Disney. And he and I also, we, I don't know if he told you this, but he and I collaborate a lot on a lot of the projects that we do. The Vision House and Interventions, he and I both wrote the Green Home Chronicles blog that's there. That was really a lot of fun. And uh, for Disney, I'm just talking about Disney right now, a lot of the major work is done in Glendale. So here in Florida, what I do for Imagineering is mostly naming things And coming up with stories for restaurants and retail venues, I named a lot of the streets at Golden Oak, the housing development. Ah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That one never crossed my mind. That's really cool.
0: Yeah, it is. I just worked on a whole bunch of information panels for the Food and Wine Festival for 2014 at Epcot. So all those little placards and signs you see to talk about the food or talk about Scotland or Ireland, somebody writes those. And I just wrote a, a bunch of those. Hmm. Okay. And you know, I'm looking at a few things that are confidential. Uh, one of the main things that I do for Walt Disney World is work on show information guides. I don't know if Adam mentioned those. Yeah. Yeah. He and I both write a lot of show information guides, which is really kind of fascinating. I'm sure he what that is.
1: Yeah.
2: In case somebody's listening, didn't listen to Adam's interview yet, but now they're going to go back and listen. To yeah. It, they haven't <laughs> yet. Do you want to just give kind of a thumbnail of what that is?
0: The show information guides are used by cast members so that they understand what the design influences were for the Imagineers who created whatever it was that so is an attraction. It goes through an overview of what the story is and what the backstory is. It also goes into all of the design decisions that were made that so those would pertain to the cast members. And then it goes scene by scene through every single element of the attraction so they understand what the story is and what the guest is supposed to experience so that when you just ask them questions, they they don't, aren't just making stuff up. This is something that has actually come from the designers.
2: So as a writer of a show information guide, you don't necessarily create the story, no. but you gather the pieces of the story from everyone else who was involved in it and put it together into a single usable document.
0: That's correct. That's what we do. It, it's, it, you know, it's, it's seems like it would be an easy thing to do, but it actually is quite complex, and there's a special format, and it's actually pretty gratifying, aside from the fact that Adam and I both get to learn insider information about how these attractions were created.
2: Right. Yeah, it sounds really difficult, and it sounds like so much fun, I can't even tell you.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For Universal, um, I'm working on quite a few projects right now that are completely confidential that I cannot talk about at all. Okay. But... I can tell you that I wrote some of the scripting for the shrunken heads window at Di- Diagon Alley at Harry Potter. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay.
0: And I worked on the mummy ride there. But everything else I should talk about right now because it isn't open yet.
2: Okay. Uh, for Diagon Alley, I didn't quite hear what piece you said you'd worked on there.
0: There's a shrunken heads window. There are all these windows that you to activate with the wand. Uh huh. And this particular window it's actually a nocturne Alley. Um, okay. This particular window actually has a show. There are strung heads in the window, and they tell jokes and sing songs. It's about a 30-minute loop, and I wrote part of that.
2: <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs>
0: yeah. um, I also do a lot of work with Hershey Family Entertainment. They have Dollywood and Silver Dollar City. I mm-hmm. um, work on Mystery Mine and Fire Chaser Express and Outlaw Run for them, and a, a lot of other projects as well. And then for SeaWorld, I worked on Turtle Track of Blue Horizons in Antarctica, and uh, I was the showwriter for Katanga, and like, the lyrics that I mentioned before, I was also the showwriter for Re- Reboltskin, which, been, which part is in Williamsburg, and Dark Castle. And right now, I'm working on uh, a lot of competent projects. Um, the majority of my work, to be honest with you, has come Sea SeaWorld, and at any given time, I'm usually on four or five projects with them. Wow. Yeah.
2: That's incredible. Okay. And, of course, all the ones you're currently working on you can't talk about, so I won't even ask any of Sorry. the questions. that popped <laughs> into my head. <laughs> no, it's, it's completely all right. I understand.
0: Now, you know, outside of the U.S., I've worked on stuff. One of the coolest projects that I worked on was the uh, Dragon's Treasure Show in Macau. Do you know what that is?
2: No, I'm not familiar with that.
0: That was through a, a creative firm called South Street House here in the United States. Um, and that show... 360-degree dome. It's um, 3D film inside the dome and there are four different dragon characters swirl around inside that dome and it is an absolutely phenomenal show.
2: Wow, it sounds like it. It sounds amazing.
0: It, it won uh, a Theo Award. It was re- it's really an incredible show. I'm very proud of it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'd say you should be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I had seen on LinkedIn that there was an attraction you'd worked on that had won a CEO award. Is that the one?
0: Well, actually, are quite a few. Oh, okay. Tomb Raider at Paramount Park, Revenge of the Mummy at Universal. I was one of the show writers on that one. The main show writer was somebody else. The Great Glass Elevator at Alton Towers, the Dragon's Treasure Show at Macau, and the Kirkwood Dark Castle at Busch Gardens, Tampa.
2: Wow, so that's about a half dozen or so. Yeah. That's wonderful. Congratulations on all of those. Thank you. I know. Whether you got the actual award or not, just to have to have been in a, an important part of an attraction that won that is pretty impressive. Yes, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about any other work for non-U.S. parks? I, I remember seeing something that you had worked on something in Dubai. Yeah, actually,
0: you know, when the, the big thing was going on, when everybody was doing projects for Dubai, I worked on SeaWorld Dubai, DreamWorks, Dubai, there were a lot of them. There was an Arabian Nights Park, there was Universal Dubai. I worked on all of those,
2: <laughs> and then they went away. <laughs> okay. So pretty much if it is or was planned to go into Dubai, the odds are pretty good that you had something work in, in there somewhere.
0: There were a lot of projects that were going to Dubai, so I worked on a portion of them, yes, definitely.
2: <laughs> okay. Uh, how is that different for you than what you do for the domestic parks?
0: It really wasn't much different. I I don't really go to any of these locations. I've not traveled out of the country for work. Because I'm a writer, I work remotely. So I work with uh, creative partners here in the United States. They're actually hired by the Chinese or the Middle Eastern companies. And then they contract out writers and designers and other creative people. So I work with people here in the United States. So it's really not any different, really. There are some cultural differences. There's a lot of research involved, especially in China. And you have to be very careful about the language that you use. It can't be anything vernacular, so it can't be some sort of idiom that we would use that they would never understand. You have to be very careful. And, and jokes, because we have a different position when things are funded.
2: imagine that falls pretty similarly in line with things like the show information guide writing where you have to do the research and understand that to a significant enough degree that you can then write for potential attractions or areas or whatever.
0: And it also helps with brainstorming to come up with creative ideas that that client will appreciate
2: Western land, I think it is in. You know, I want to say uh, Disneyland Paris or yeah. Tokyo Disneyland. They, that's intended to be very American,
0: mm-hmm.
2: or at least their image. <laughs>
0: yeah, and I, I don't mean to disparage Chinese in any way, but sometimes they make interesting choices that I don't completely understand. I worked on one theme park, I uh, did entire theme park, and the client came to me and said. One of the lands has to be giant ants. I went, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of, they maybe want like European lands, and then they want one with giant ants. So I actually, I can't tell you about it, the whole thing, because I don't think that I'm allowed to do that. But I actually managed to come up with a story that actually made sense about, the, and it was the whole theme park, and it had a land that was giant ants.
2: I'll take your word for it and be impressed because that just sounds like an incredible challenge.
0: Yeah, it really was. It made my brain hurt. <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: Any other projects that you want to mention before I ask you something
0: peripheral to that? You know, oh, Adam, I just recently worked on a show for a Viking cruise ship. I was recommended by someone by this entertainment firm and they contacted me and I have to say that was so much fun. I had the best time working on that project. I got to choose all of the music and tie it all together, thread it all together with the story and it was a totally gratifying experience. It used every discipline I understand. Music and I had to describe dances and and character development, story and theater. It was really fun.
1: Wow.
2: Now, I mentioned in the introduction you're writing for television series like Jack Hanna's Animal Adventure, Shamu TV. Uh, Walt Disney's Secrets of Animal Kingdom. Was that a natural outgrowth of your attraction show writing and and the other things you'd been doing, or did that kind of come out of left field?
0: That actually happened early in my career. That was when I was still working as a performer part-time, and I was doing little jobs here and there for Disney and Paramount Park and Universal. But I still wasn't writing full-time. But I had a friend who was a show writer for Channel TV, she was trying to nurture me and, and support me in this process of, of becoming a writer. She asked me if I would like to try writing for Shameless TV. So she had me write the segment. And
1: okay. She taught
0: me the format. She thought it was great. So the next episode she did, she had me write half the show. And during that, I heard, I can't even remember how I heard it, but that Jack Hanna's Animal mentors were looking for a writer and the production company was in Tampa. So... In typical fashion, I cold-called them <laughs> and got an interview, and they had me do a writing sample. Because I'd done a little bit of writing for my friends, I kind of had a basic idea how to do it, how to go about it, and they hired me. And I worked for Jack Hannah's Mental Adventures for a couple of years. And that same production company I also went on to do a new version of Shandler TV. And because I was writing for them already, they hired me to do a TV episode. So that's kind of how all that happened. And during that time, also, I heard that because the Animal Kingdom, needed a show writer. So I applied for that job and got it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> is writing for TV like that something that you enjoy and it kind of fits well with the other things? Or is it more challenging or just... How does that fit for you compared to those other these other things that you do
0: it, it feels easy and natural to me I think because i've as part of my career, I did do like little little very small, very tiny roles you never remember in some little films and I did lots of auditions for TV and films and oh, YouTube, so I used to that type of script and I understood the format and I don't know i it just came naturally to me. Jack the Vandal Adventures, I have to say, was really, really difficult to write though because at the time, this was before digital, they would send me a box of tapes, a giant box of tapes, and I would have to sit there with my little tape player and watch all of these tapes of Jack Hanna out in the field doing all the crazy stuff that he does. And then take all of these mixed up tapes in but they were always in one location and figure out a story and a and story thread. And then I had to or edit, choose the clips that would be used and write the voiceover in sequence using the code numbers for these clips to put together the episode and then that, that would be sent on to the editor and he would use that script that I wrote with the selected clip to put together the edit.
2: Oh, well, yeah, that sounds incredibly difficult.
0: But, oh, it was, it was, it was, I always had a week to do it and it was, it was pretty hellish. Yeah. But it got to the point where when one of those boxes would arrive, my son, my son
2: would cry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he knew that
0: mommy would
2: be gone for a week. <laughs> Pretty
0: much.
2: Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so aside from Jack Hanna's Animal Adventures, is TV writing uh, something that you'd want to continue doing or do more of? The one that comes to mind right away, and I don't know if you necessarily had anything to do with this one, but the video that they show at uh, SeaWorld San Diego at the Penguin Encounter, like when you're sitting on the benches and they have the video screens and kind of a about penguins and, and all this, it's really pretty fun. It's maybe a 20-minute or so video, and it sounds like that's the kind of, of script writing that a lot of the attractions have. I don't know if you had anything to do with that particular one or not, but it's one I'm very, very familiar with.
0: Oh, okay. No, I didn't have anything to do with that one, but Antarctica, the entire penguin, has lots of meaning, and I wrote all the scripts for that.
2: Okay. Yeah, Yeah, it sounds like you did a lot of different things on Antarctica.
0: I did. I was even involved in the ride test
2: for
1: that one. Wow. Yeah.
0: The whole creative team would go to the warehouse several times a week, and we would ride the the vehicle. Because as a show writer, I knew the storyline is that you are a penguin. The vehicle itself is a penguin. And so part of the story that you're the vehicle you're on reacting to character on the screen, so I knew this story better than anyone. So I knew what that vehicle would
2: be doing. That makes sense.
0: Yeah.
2: And it seems like that's the kind of thing that they should do with most, if not all, attraction. Have the person or people who wrote it go through, because like you say, the person who wrote it knew what they were trying to accomplish when they wrote it.
0: Well, mm-hmm. that's often does happen. That's good. Yeah. I don't know that many, many writers have been the, one of the wise testers. <laughs> right. <laughs> I wrote that thing a lot. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Did you ever get to a point where you were like, I'm so glad I wrote this, and I really don't want to hear it again for a little while?
0: No, actually, I, I really love that project. I still think it's a great project. I really I, I was really proud of it, and um, I think the animation that Henry created it on that project was really, really wonderful.
2: Good. It, that's a, a testimony to the quality of the project when the, somebody who was heavily involved in the production of it and then in the testing of it still enjoys and appreciates it.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a great great show and great attraction.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to getting back out to SeaWorld Orlando and experiencing it for myself.
0: It's fun. It's a big moment, though, of course, is the, the reveal of the penguin habitat. That's the really cool part. Oh, and um, for anyone who's interested there's a final scene where the penguin's character, the named puck, dives into the water for the first time, and then there's a big, there's an encounter with a, a leopard seal. At the very end of that, the sea song that I wrote the lyrics for starts to play. And the vehicles turn around. and if you turn your head and look back at the screen, in the, in the far right corner of the screen, there are two penguins that look like they're, they're wailing to the song,
1: uh-huh. singing
0: to the song, they're like really wailing. That's supposed to be the composer
2: and me, the lyricist. <laughs> I'm singing <of> song. <laughs> that's great. What do you never get asked that you wish people would ask you?
0: Hmm. I don't know, to be honest with you. I um, That's a hard question. I thought about this, you know, I don't know, to be honest with you. I really don't
2: know. That's fine. Nothing that you'd like to be able to talk about, and just nobody ever asked a question that gives you the chance to, you know, get on a soapbox or you know, share something that's important to you or anything like that?
0: Well, I think the only, okay, the only thing is that people actually do ask me this question. Young people ask me what they should study and what they should know to be a theme park writer. And I don't think, things are always surprised by my answer and maybe a little confused by because I think, in life. Yes, there's life uh, technology and engineering involved. But it really is a show. We're putting on a show. There's a script. There's a soundtrack. It's a show. There are characters and there's a story. And we're entertaining people and, and immersing them in a special world. Mm-hmm. Another thing that's really important to study is history. You need to know history. World history really important to know understand about culture and history because I draw up on history all the time and I do whether do it all the time as well. And another thing is to understand and know a lot about popular culture. Keep up on popular culture. I watch TV all the time. I go to movies. I go to to animated features. I go see everything I can find because I know I'm going to be asked about it in a meeting.
2: That makes sense, yeah. yeah. Just like the young people who ask, I don't think that I would have expected that as the answer to that question, but it makes sense once you say it. It's completely logical that those are the things, or at least some of the things you'd need to do. Well thank you for sharing that advice. Then, okay. How to to get started into that. Yes. Yeah. Now, what inspires you?
0: Research. Research inspires me. Okay. It's funny, um, a lot of my clients love me because I actually love to do research. I think there are a lot of writers who don't like to research, but I actually love to search. I'm inspired by images and stories. I'm inspired inspired by real life. I love to go back and look at stories and history about real people because then that's something that's going to really connect with people. It's going to feel authentic because it's based in reality. People in history are so interesting. I don't know if a lot of people understand how fascinating it is. The strange things that happen, the unusual things that occur, sometimes it's so much better than anything you could make up.
2: Oh, yeah. More interesting, more fascinating, more unusual. A lot of times the things that really happened, you couldn't invent a story that strange. I know. Or that fascinating.
0: And to have those true stories as a launching point for your own inspiration, I think that's the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: I remember, uh, you yeah, we were talking earlier about science fiction and fantasy, and that's one thing that the best of those authors do really well is create the worlds that they're going to set their stories in uh, and often create them based on Real historical events or cultures or people. And often those are the ones that resonate with us the best.
0: Right, because we understand it intrinsically. You know, you don't have to explain it to people. I and mean, those are the best stories. The stories that are not very complicated, that you don't have to explain to a car, there's very little time to absorb information. But so if you present them with a very complicated story, it's just going to go right over their heads. Mm-hmm. You can find a story that's relatively speaks to some sort of cultural story that we all know and understand, even in, in a very tangential way. Those are the ones that really resonate people and connect
2: with them. Right, and that kind of goes back to what Adam and I talked about in his interview with the hero's journey.
0: Oh yeah, he's the king of the hero's journey. He taught me a
2: lot about it. Right. Oh yeah. He. I read the book, and then even in talking to him for the interview I did with him, he taught me so much more. And it's amazing,
0: yeah, it really
2: is so now, a lot of people who are listening have their own dreams, probably everybody who's listening has at least one, but a lot of them aren't doing anything with it. you know, maybe it's to be a show writer or a stunt person or be in theater, or maybe it's something entirely unrelated to any of that, but it's still you know this dream that they've had, but they've either forgotten it or they've been told that it's dumb or it's impossible or something. And so they've just kind of pushed it aside or forgotten about it. What advice do you have for that person?
0: Um, I think this is kind of try, but it's really true. You have to know what you want and keep striving for that. Just never give up. It's really a, it's, it's about confidence. As I said before, I kick-started my career through calling. And mm-hmm. most people wouldn't do that. But I just seriously went out and started. I, I knew what I wanted. And I went for it. That was what I needed to do, so I did it. And that was training that I got as an actress. Because as an actor, you spend more time looking for work than actually working. So you have to strategize and think about every angle and then pursue it faithfully and faithfully with utter fearlessness. You can't let any doubt creep in, and you can't allow yourself to be discouraged by rejection. And really, a lot of people talk about networking. And I don't really think of it as networking in the traditional sense. It's creating a network of friends nurturing those relationships in a really authentic way. If you truly care about other people, most of them will try to help you realize the dream. So I didn't even have a website for the, until this year because I actually didn't need one. Wow. What I created was a network of friends that I contacted and we just talked about regular everyday things. I didn't call and say, oh, you know, I really need to work. I would just call and say, hey, how are you doing? And we would just talk about stuff. And then usually at the end of the call, they would say, hey, you know, we've that this project? We you did working work on it. And because we were friends, they thought of me. And it also, of course, you have to be passionate and professional about everything that you do. One of my pet peeves is not meeting deadlines, even for myself. So it's really important to make commitments to keep them so that people will really trust you. But the other thing, too, is to be humble. People like to work with people that they like. No matter how talented you are, no matter how gifted you are, if, if you're not easy to work with, people most likely will choose to work with someone else, even if they're not as gifted as you are. So that's pretty much it.
2: That's great advice. Yeah. That All of that is great advice, uh, and for people at different stages along their journey. Mm-hmm. So the last thing here, and I don't know how much of this you might need, but I am open it up to everybody because I want to make sure everybody has the opportunity for this. And that is what we call shameless plug time. Anything (laughs) you want to mention, promote, you name it, it's yours. Go for it.
0: Honestly, I don't, for for the most part, I can't talk about any of the projects, most of the projects that I'm working on right now. um, They're all confidential. For a number of years, I've been in the process of writing a screenplay. I don't know if I'll ever finish it because it seems to be this sort of magic bullet. Every time things get a little slow, and I pull that screenplay I would start working on it, I get a million calls. So <laughs> <laughs> I've never finished it. It's a great story, and I hope to finish it someday, because I think it'd be a wonderful screenplay, but uh, in the meantime, I never seem to have time to work
2: on it. <laughs> All right. Well, if you ever do, let me know, and you can. You know, if I'm still doing the show, you can come back on and we'll talk about it. Okay.
0: That's pretty much it. I really don't have anything else to (laughs) talk (laughs) about.
2: That's fine. I will go ahead and put a link to your relatively brand new website in the show notes so people can take a look at that. Uh, And then is there a way to contact you on there if somebody wants to learn more or anything?
0: Yeah. Actually, that's kind of a funny story. I I was asked to be on the board of Slight, which is, a ironically, is a networking group for the theme park industry. And so I'm a board member, but they insisted when I became a board member they said, Well, you have to have a website. I go, but I don't really need a website. (laughs) And they it's like everybody has to be insisted, all of the people who are in the networking group have websites. It's not really right that one of the board members doesn't have one. I said, Okay, I'll get a website
2: (laughs) I suppose they have a point there.
0: Well, (laughs) <laughs> you know, a writer doesn't, at least a theme park writer, doesn't really need a website. Sure. We can't really post our writing, any writing samples. Most of the, there were few things that I could put, actually put on my website that I've done that Disney won't let you post the stuff you've done. Universal won't let you post in the stuff you've done.
2: That is an excellent point.
0: But, yeah. And you can't write post writing samples unless you do sex stuff and nobody really wants to do that anyway.
2: Right. Yeah, you spend enough time and effort writing stuff that actually is needed for something. You don't need to go out and write more just so you have something to post.
0: It's very, very true.
2: When Adam recommended that I contact you to do an interview, and he said that it would be a lot of fun, and I would get to hear about stuff that I hadn't talked about with anybody else before, and he was absolutely right on both of those counts. So I really appreciate your time, and I've definitely had a lot of fun uh, talking to you and hearing all these different things that you've had to share.
0: Thank you. I really enjoyed this. And and I do have to say, I think I've been very, very lucky. I feel very fortunate and very blessed in my career.
2: Definitely. And that's an important piece of the puzzle Mm
0: -hmm.
2: for everybody, I think.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I really had a good time.
2: That brings us to the end of this week's show. A special thank you to Colette Picot for being my guest and to you for listening. Next time I have a very special guest that you've seen if you've been to Walt Disney World pretty much any time in the last nine years, especially if you stayed on property. If you don't know who I'm talking about, go to YouTube and type Must Do Disney. If you're currently doing something because of your love for Disney, you've written a book, you're blogging, writing or performing music, art, whatever it is, and you want to tell people about it and why it matters to you, then I want to hear from you. I also want to talk to and hear from people who've worked for Disney. And if you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience and you've had an encounter or an interaction that made some extra Disney magic or had any special Disney experience you want to share, even just giving a compliment or a thank you for anything Disney's done, I'd love to hear from you too. In any or all of these cases, you can email me at podcast at stories of the or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY anytime, 24 hours a day. This episode has been brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Choose from titles like In the Shadow of the Matterhorn by past guest David Smith, Walt Disney, The Mouse That Roared by Jeff Lindbergh, or of course my book, Faith and the Magic Kingdom. To download your free audiobook today, go to storiesofthemagic.com slash audible. Again, that's storiesofthemagic.com slash audible for your free audiobook. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, or you can hear Stories of the Magic while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. If you like the show, please rate and review Stories of the Magic in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. And while you're there, check out the show notes for useful links from each episode, too. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com storiesofthemagic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com storiesofmagic and tweet out that you're listening. Pin it on Pinterest, plus one on Google+. Tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic too. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories, but this tale
1: is finished. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com. Or call our listener feedback line 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website storiesofthemagic.com for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.